Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday night, as I am joined today by a very special guest. He is the managing editor over at Kings Herald. He is at GWiz on Twitter. It is Greg Wisinger. Oh, I did it. I see. We even talked about it. It's Wissinger. <laughs> Wissing. We 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 literally just went over this. Uh, pickaxe and roll listeners. That that I I butcher names every single time I come on this podcast because I get into this this frame of mind. It is awful. Greg Wissinger is one of the best people on Twitter. One of the best people in NBA media. He is an excellent human being and just one of the. One of the people that I think I started paying attention to very early when I was getting into uh, blogging and getting into sports media. So, Greg, uh, I hope I did you justice despite butchering your name. How are you on this Wednesday evening? I'm doing great. You just set way too high a bar. Everyone listening is going to be really let down now, so I, I can't wait to disappoint. <laughs> well, you do such a great job of covering the Kings, and and one of the cool things that you guys did uh, when when various things happened over at SB Nation and Vox uh, with the California side of things, you guys decided to cover the Kings and continue to move over. And, and you moved over to an independent platform called the Kings Herald. And it's just fantastic. And one of the things that you guys do, the 30Q series during the offseason, totally stole it last year. Totally and, and completely stole it for Denver Stiffs. We did 20 cues, did 20 lead-up questions for the, the beginning of the season. And it's it's awesome. It's one of the things that I, I totally remember the site by and remember Sackdown Royalty doing that for so long. So you guys do a fantastic job. And uh it's always been it's always been great to pay attention. Yeah, we only did 20 last year as well because it was kind of that condensed window of time. And so we only yeah. did 20 it was a kind of weird year but we went back to 30 q this year and honestly steal away it's not my baby it's something that we stole from back in the day when tom ziller was running the site and yeah it's just been a tradition that we kept going but it's just a fun easy way to kind of fill this dead zone of september before training camp starts and you know kind of do an extended drawn out preview we're just gonna do a deep dive on one topic each day and see what comes of it have one of those deep dives been on uh, a, a one Ben Simmons who has who has been in the the tabloids lately as a potential option? So we've definitely written a lot about Ben Simmons. Uh, the first one we did this year was uh, the question was, will the Kings finally make a big swing? Uh, and that kind of tackled the Simmons rumors and all that. It seems like things have kind of cooled off a little bit. And I think Philly's just trying to regain a little bit of leverage and i don't think it's gonna go super well <laughs> good luck <laughs> I, I i don't think that i don't necessarily know if the kings are gonna be where he ends up but i think he's gonna end up somewhere and the kings are one of the you know more likely destinations as far as when you're looking at salary matching and teams that are desperate enough to go for a guy who isn't a, a perfect player even though he is a very good player and i mean personally i think he's a little underrated right now and i'd be thrilled to have him but uh, we'll see if the Kings trade package is enough to get the deal done. Anytime that you can add a player on, on a significant contract that goes for a significant period of time where he could potentially be the best player on the team, there, there is something to that. And, and I am high on De'Aaron Fox. I still think that he's an excellent point guard, but whether like, and we're, we're going to talk about this with the Kings in particular, if, if he's your only guy, 
then it, it really sort of changes the equation. But if you have two guys like a De'Aaron Fox and Ben Simmons could kind of be the, the yin to his yang, uh, that would be a, a really interesting pairing in my opinion. So at, I'm sure that you guys have covered that uh, in, in way better justice than I can do in this particularly brief segment. So anybody that is listening, go check out the Kings Herald, go read up on some of the best coverage out there on the Kings. And uh, for the rest of this podcast, we are going to be talking about the rest of the West non-contenders. And so I did this podcast, uh, I think it was last week with Justin Rowan, and we covered the East non-contenders at that point. Justin's great. Make sure to go check out his work too. Yeah, um, we don't need, we don't need to talk about yeah, Justin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but we, we decided, hey, I want to try to get around to every team in the NBA, every, every little bit and nook and cranny here and there. And I wanted to talk with people who are intimately familiar with those teams. So I think Greg is a really good candidate for this. He knows the NBA well, and we are going to cover the bottom of the West in this, in this case, because I think that it's probably not given enough justice, like just how much talent is in the bottom of the West because there is so much talent in the top of the West. It's just a loaded conference from top to bottom, one to 15 or well, one to 14, if we're not counting Oklahoma city at this point, um, which you can't really do that because they have Shea, but we'll, we'll get into that. So uh, my question to you, Greg, where do you want to start? Should we start kind of at the very bottom or should we start at the teams that we think could have a chance to make the play in here? Um. Let's start at the bottom and then work our way up because I think the teams at the very bottom of the assumed final standings, right? I mean, obviously there's a lot of guesswork involved at the bottom, but I think those teams will have less to kind of pick apart and really deep dive on. So we can move through them and then move into the teams that, you know, are convincing themselves at this time of year that they have a chance at, you know, sneaking into the playoffs or at least the play in and, you know, that, that'll give us a little bit more to work with. I like it. Let's, let's do that. Uh, so the way that I frame this and, and I looked at the, the ESPN article that came out today, they did their forecast prediction for the top contenders in the West, the play in teams in the West and the bottom of the West. And I actually think that they did a pretty good job. And I also looked at DraftKings and their odds that they have for the over-unders on the year. And just to kind of get a good frame of mind for where these teams are going to come in, where, where the general consensus on, on these teams. And the bottom of the barrel, I think, is pretty simple. I think it's made up of two teams in the West. It is the Oklahoma City Thunder, and it is the Houston Rockets. Do you agree there? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to see them just where they're at in their rebuild process. They are, Again, anything can happen, but it's definitely the most likely two to be at the bottom. Let's start with OKC. Uh, already took a shot at their their talents because that's just a, such a negative Nancy comment the way that I do it. Uh, but Shea is there, and he is he's very good. He's a very talented player who just signed a max contract with them or was just kind of got that max extension. They took care of him. Um, but this is a team that it seems like they are just unendingly kicking the can down the road and, and continuing to pick up future assets and get younger and younger and younger. Uh, my question to you, how long do you think that they can continue to realistically do that before somebody says something? I feel like they're getting close to the tipping point because you really look at what they're doing. They're doing 
exactly what Sam Hinkie did in Philadelphia. They're just being a little less brazen about it. They're not in as big a media market, so it's not getting the same attention. But they're just stockpiling draft picks to the point it's just a punchline that every trade is going to net Sam Presti another first rounder. Now, personally, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's really smart team building. They're acquiring a lot of good, young, interesting people along the way, doing very much what uh, what Hinky did in Philly, which is cycle a lot of young guys in and out, see what you got, get a good look, and you know, hold on to the ones you think have a future. And I think it can keep going. Basically, I think this season's about the tipping point. I think part of it is just that they have so much draft capital that at a certain point it's going to become less valuable because teams are going to right. be trading and they're going to say, well, what do you mean you won't throw in another pick? You've got 30 of them. You know, like <laughs> You're going to throw in. And so eventually you have to turn those assets into players and not just players that you buy out to go play somewhere else. And yeah, I feel like it, it, it's going to reach that tipping point soon. I mean, Presti definitely has, a long established track record. He's got a history of building successful teams. So he's going to get more leeway than Hinky ever did. But I think it's going to come the time sooner rather than later where they start cashing in those chips. Over under on them at DraftKings is 23 and a half. ESPN forecast had it predicted at 22 and 60 this year. That seems about right. Like I, I don't see any way that they really get up above 25 wins unless like unless they something crazy happens because even last year's team where they had Al Horford for a significant portion of the year was a little bit better than what it seems like they're rolling in with now where Derek favors is going to be maybe their third best player. And they've got Shea Gilgis Alexander, Lou Dortz, but I will push back on one thing that you said that I'm not sure if I trust a lot of the young guys that they brought in. Like, I think that's, I think that Poku is, intriguing and in that we've never seen anything quite like him i think that josh giddy is is has a chance to be good but he's also very similar to shay so my my kind of big question here is do, do they really have building blocks or do they just have a bunch of guys that's my big question so i think that so far when i just kind of scan over their roster yeah you know, they've got shay they've got giddy who i i think giddy could be something really interesting. I mean, I don't think he'll necessarily show it this year. Same with Poku. I mean, that, he's a guy that they took knowing he was going to take a couple of years to develop, but right. the development from the beginning of last season to the end of last season, I thought was really promising if you believe in his talent and, and his potential. There's always going to be the question mark of how frail he looks. You know, I mean, he is, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's very unique as far as his, like just his frame and, and all of that. And I don't know how much muscle he can really put on there to, to strengthen up and, and do all the different things you would hope a player of his size could do. I would say, honestly, unless they are act. I mean, the over under to me is a question of whether or not you think they're actively going to be trying to avoid wins this year, because you look at last season, they won 17, but it was only 70 game season. If you adjust it to 82 games, that's about a 20 win season, a two or three win improvement doesn't seem far fetched to me. Shea averaged 33.7 minutes per game last year. 
but he only played 35 games. They, they, yeah. they shut him down. It really like sure. he, he did, he did have a couple of injury issues, but uh, they were playing it extra cautious. Um, they did the same thing with Al Horford. They really did try to shut it down and they tried to be the worst team in the league and it burned them this past year because they didn't uh, win that lottery and they, t- they didn't get to the places where they needed to go. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty low on them, but uh, I, it's hard not to be low on them when, when it's very possible that they're just actively not looking to win. So, And that's a big part of it. And to your, your earlier point, the West is so strong that even if guys are developing and growing, the West just keeps getting harder, especially at the top. And so there's going to be a lot of losses. It's not going to be a, a year full of like 40 wins and surprising everyone, but I do think they have some interesting young pieces. They've got enough draft capital that whenever the opportunity does present itself, they could make a swing and suddenly shift gears into trying to win. Let's just have them trade for Ben Simmons. That would be great. That would be be something. Would it Um, surprise you if they like brought him in and then like two months later, shipped him back out somewhere else (laughs) to rehab his value (laughs) because he's like, he's now the guy that needs his, his, he's now the veteran that needs his value rehab. That's, that is funny. Uh, Good Lord. Uh, (laughs) That would be, that would be uh, a, an iconic Sam Presti move. Uh, let's move to the Houston Rockets here. They're over under at DraftKings is a little bit higher at 27 and a half ESPN forecast, though. They still have them at 22 and 60 tied with the OKC thunder. Um, they are not good either. And there, there's, there's definitely a big question mark with John wall kind of holding, holding that team hostage over that two year, $91 million deal. Uh, they acquired it willingly trying to get off of Russell Westbrook's money and recoup a first round pick. Uh, but it just doesn't look like that's going anywhere fast. Uh, what do you think of, because there was a report earlier that they're looking to kind of part ways with John wall, but he's certainly not going to be giving back any of that money. No, it doesn't sound like they're doing any sort of a buyout. So they're going to basically just sit him, which I'm curious to see how the league handles that because just sitting a guy with two years left on his contract. But then again, uh, Cleveland did it with Kevin Love, so maybe it's just not a thing anyone cares about. But they're going to sit him, and I think Waj said today that he doesn't see any scenario where Wall is going anywhere. So until Wall's camp decides to do a buyout, he's just going to sit on the sidelines. And it's just such a weird career between how good he was and how – injuries derailed things after that contract and now the contracts made him to where no one wants him he's not going to play very weird situation but yeah that's the the perils of the supermax deal now where it's it's now become such a negative for so many players that like look his for for the audience at home he's due 44 million this year and has a 47.3 million dollar player option next year so like this is this is a debilitating situation for the houston rockets because he's not the player that they need and the longer that they play him they'll get closer to 30 wins rather than the 15 wins that they probably want to be at but that's really why they shut him down last year and in the end it worked out because let's be honest you're not going to be able to shut down russell westbrook like you're not going to be able to tank with russell westbrook so in that sense the swap worked out because they ended up with Jalen Green. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, and like, that's that's the next question, I think. Like, are we sure that Jalen Green was the right pick when when Evan Mobley, I think, was a, a guy that many people considered to be the right choice? Uh, do you think Jalen Green was was the right choice for them in the draft? I don't claim to be a draft expert by any means. Um, our draft expert at Kings Herald, Bryant West, uh, he definitely thought that Jalen Green should have been three. So time's going to tell. You know, I mean, he our draft guy's the first to admit it. All draft experts are just doing their best to to guess what's going to happen, but time will tell. I do think that there is a certain level of value in a scoring shot creating wing or guard right. compared to a big man in the modern NBA. And I, I think that's the justification for the Rockets, especially when they do already have, you know, other talented big guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've got, um, I uh, just blanked those name Christian Wood. So I don't know how long he's going to be there. You know, they may end up trading him as part of the kind of the rebuild thing, but Christian Wood's a, a good player who I don't think it totally overlaps with what Mobley would bring to the table, but I can see it. You know, I don't know if it's what I would have done, but I can see why they wanted green instead. I think he has a ton of upside, ton of potential. I mean, this draft class was so good and I really love what they did with the rest of their draft where they went with green up front and then did get two really talented big men later in the first round. Yeah. Usman Garuba, uh, Alperin Shangun, should be really interesting to see what those guys do in the draft. You need you need uh, the creation guards and the playmaking guards. Those are those are the guys that really drive the bus in the NBA so far. Um, but having dynamic, uh, able-bodied young bigs is also going to help them. Uh, they're probably going to be fun. I do have questions about how fun they will be, uh, just because sometimes when you don't have an actual point guard it can get pretty ugly pretty fast from a structure standpoint. Uh, do you think they'll be fun? Like, despite they're probably not going to win a lot of games, do you think that this is a team that you would tune into? Yeah, but I'm a Kings fan. I'm used to watching really crappy teams and <laughs> enjoying it. So, like, I love terrible teams with young players who do weird stuff. Like, I get a sick sense of joy out of that. So, uh, and, and I loved – uh, Shangun going into the draft, like I was really high on him, and uh, you know, we'll obviously get into it as we go along. But I was really shocked that the Kings didn't end up taking him, and I think there's a really good chance he ends up the seal of the draft. Where we look back on them having Green and Shangun, and just say like, how did they pull that off in one draft? That'll be interesting. I'm uh, like Denver back in 2014 drafted Yusuf Nurkic, Gary Harris. And Nikola Jokic, uh, maybe it's like that. Maybe it's maybe it's something where you just you just pull out a bunch of starters and and potentially a superstar out of it. That would be really cool, um, and it would be necessary because this Rockets team they badly need an influx of young talent, uh, something to really get fans behind after what what was a really ugly exit by James Harden. All right, tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the rest of the West, uh, beginning with the Minnesota Timberwolves. We will be right back. And we're back, 
Epic Action Roll, Ryan Blackburn here, joined by Greg Wisinger. I got that one, uh, I think. Close enough. I think. I think. <laughs> Man, this, this is going to be like my bit that I do with every single guest just to kind of diffuse the situation a little bit like i'm so sorry uh, but we're gonna we're gonna have a grand old time it's all good uh minnesota timberwolves they are in an interesting position i think where they're on two different timelines one of the timelines has carl anthony towns who is who has turned from a young prospect to a man real quick he's had tragic things happen in his life he has been in a very tough situation with Jimmy Butler, with Andrew Wiggins, with Zach Levine before, and now with a team that didn't really have any winning prospects for a long time. Uh, and then they got the number one pick in the draft again and drafted Anthony Edwards. And despite the fact that advanced analytics are a little bit low on a player like him, he seems like a guy that will grow into a star at some point. Uh, so my question to you, how high can Anthony Edwards rise in year two? And is it going to be quick enough? So real quick question before I answer, uh, is this a family podcast or do you, are you okay with some swearing? <laughs> I am okay with some swearing. Okay. Cause I fucking love Anthony Edwards. Like <laughs> I, I needed to be able to put that emphasis on like his, talk about a guy who developed before I was like, as the season went along, like from the start of the year to the end of year, just the growth you could see in his game. And then just off court, like the personality, the interviews, like I love this kid. Like he's such a fun player to watch. He obviously has issues in his game, but I, I just want to root for him. I want to believe in him. He, he's so much fun to watch so much fun to listen to. Like, if I was a Tim Rules fan, like, yeah, it, it's tricky because you do have that balance between, you know, Cat needs to start winning. He's not going to be content forever. And you need to be patient with Edwards because there's obviously something special there. But just having the two of them, I mean, they seem to get along. I think Carl Anthony Tones is a smart enough, reasonable enough guy. I, I don't see him, like, forcing his way out because if he was going to do that, that could have happened already, right? I mean, the – there's been enough going on in Minnesota that he would have been well within his rights. No one would have questioned it. No one would have been right. upset. And he hasn't, he stuck it out. He seems happy for the most part. Obviously I think he does want to start winning. And I don't know that the roster is good enough to start doing that yet, but it all comes down to Edwards and I'm not going to bet against Edwards at this point. Like he, he seems like a, a guy who's really going to be special and, I'm excited to see what that tandem can do or I mean, maybe it ends up that they do move on from towns and, and just build around Edwards, but they could get an absolute haul for towns at any time they want to, to put pieces around Edwards. I mean, every team would give up, you know, young prospects, draft picks, all, all those different pieces. So they're in a really interesting spot, but they're a team that even when they're really bad, I, I enjoy watching the Timberwolves. I think the dunk that he had on Utah uh, against the, against the Raptors was one of my favorite moments uh, just of this past year, because not only the dunk was special, but because of the fallout that ensued from both sides of this analytics debate with regard to him and how Nate Duncan made a fool of himself on Twitter 
Uh, and I and I I respect the hell out of Nate for what he does and what he stands for, and and like how he has really carved out his role in professional media. Uh, but he was wrong. <laughs> he was definitely wrong on that. And a guy like Anthony Edwards, who was playing with Nas Reed as the starter for a lot of that time, was was trying to figure out how the hell to make D'Angelo Russell into a winning player. Uh, which it really should be the other way around. Uh, it's not great, and they still have some things to figure out. They did re-sign our boy in Denver, Jared Vanderbilt, who should be uh, an interesting addition. An interesting addition back into that rotation. Still very young, still very impactful. Uh, and they added Torian Prince for Ricky Ricky Rubio. They have Malik Beasley. They have. D'Angelo Russell still like there's there's still a lot of talent there where they can figure it out. Are they a Ben Simmons destination? They want to be. Um, And I think that they can put together as interesting a package as, for example, Sacramento can. Um, At the end of the day, where Simmons goes, I think really is going to come down to like which team blinks and includes the extra player or asset that Philly values. And that's the tricky part is we don't really know what Maury wants, right? I mean, we have some idea, but but the main idea he wants out there is that he wants like 17 draft picks and your all-star. So it's tough to know exactly where the line is. I mean, this is a team that could definitely benefit from a guy like Ben Simmons. I mean, just from just the defense as well as, you know, the, the passing ability, the fast break ability. I mean, can you imagine a fast break with Ben Simmons and Anthony Edwards? Like, how many highlights is that creating every... Good Lord. And, like, and like, Cat <laughs> is no slouch on that end either because yeah, he can he can run like a deer too. Yeah. Uh, it, it's entirely possible. And, and if they get him, I think that that would be a move that would really thread the needle between those two timelines that we've talked about, right? Because... Simmons is good enough, established enough, you know, mature enough that he can be partnered with Cat, but is also still young enough that there's a future with him with Edwards. So, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I like the idea a lot. Uh, Edwards is going to be so much fun. And if they could do it, if you can turn your other pieces into a big three that includes those three players, those are three players that you give maxes to and you just you just see where it goes because that's that is a lot of fun and a lot of interesting talent and versatility and dynamic ability to be able to do some damage in the west it actually reminds me a lot of denver and where denver's at with Jokic, murray and porter so there's there's a lot to like about that um but with the t-wolves as currently constructed over under at DraftKings was 34 and a half. ESPN forecasted them at 31 and 51. That sounds about right, too. Like about 32, 33 wins. I could really see that. Yeah, their biggest thing. I mean, I think Patrick Beverly helps them a little bit. Um, I mean, he, he brings some things to the table that Rubio didn't as, as much as I love Rubio. Um, growth of Edwards, another year of cap. But the big thing for them is just I don't see the depth. You know, when I'm looking at that roster that they have some really great players, some really fun players, but I don't see a lot of depth. And that does tend to catch up over the course of an 82 game season. We will see. 
Uh, the San Antonio Spurs are the next team on the list, I think. Uh, over under on DraftKings, 28.5. ESPN forecast had them at 34 and 48. So there's a, a little bit of a, of a discrepancy there. A lot of a reputation discrepancy, I think, as that team, they've lost a lot of veterans. They brought in Thaddeus Young, Doug McDermott as kind of the veteran replacements. Uh, who is the best player on that team? I mean, it's got to be DeJounte Murray. Does it? Like, is he? Who really else is good? on that team? I, yeah, I, I think I think he's really good, but who else would it be? I think Derek White has a has a case there, um, and I think Thaddeus Young has a case, which is which I think we're we're in a really tough space at that point. Um, I would disagree. I I don't think Thaddeus Young is. Far enough along, I don't think he can have the case as being the best player in the sport. Derek White, I'll give you. I mean, Derek White's really good too. I I think Murray is definitely the best player on that team. Okay, uh, he probably has the highest ceiling where he can go. Uh, was was an all all defense level defender in his second season, and then in his third, tore his ACL, was out for the entire year. Uh, came back. Uh, last year, not, uh, not last year, the year before, and was trying to work himself back. This last year, 15.7 points, 7.1 rebounds, 5.4 assists. Versatile, uh, kind of a little bit weird with the DeMar DeRozan situation there as well. Um, so I can see where the leap happens with him. I'm just not sure if that's good enough. I'm not sure where this team is going with him as the best player on their group and, and what that really means when, when you're talking like Minnesota, they just, they have Carl Anthony towns, they have Anthony Edwards, uh, San Antonio, they have DeJounte Murray and Derek white and Devin Vassell and Thaddeus young. And they just drafted Josh Primo surprisingly, like there's, there's a lot of confusion there, I think. So my question, why is ESPN giving them 34 wins here? Because Greg Popovich is one of the best coaches the league has ever seen. And until proven otherwise, you give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt that he's going to make the whole be more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I think that's a it's fair always- way to put it. Um, I don't think it's the on-court talent that really pushes them to that level. And I think they're also a team where they're they're ripe for a move. They're ripe for... Uh, perhaps a move towards the bottom at some points where uh, despite bringing in Thaddeus Young and, and Doug McDermott, I don't think that really changes your trajectory. If a team comes calling for Derek White and is like, hey, we'd love to make this guy into one of our finishing pieces for a contender. Uh, would you give us two first round picks or like, what could we give you two first round picks for him or something like that? I think the tricky part is that the Spurs, it seems like, realistically they probably should have tried to start bottoming out like two years ago yeah Yeah. but it seems like the organization and i don't think it's necessarily his influence directly i think it's just the organization as a whole doesn't want to let go and bottom out while they still have pop because no one's really sure how much longer he wants to hang around 
it seems like he could retire at any point, but it's also seemed like that for a couple of years. And you look at the rest of this roster, kind of to your point, I mean, it's not a stacked roster by any means. They've got some good players. White and Murray are, are both really good. 100%. I do agree with you there. And, and I do like Vassal. I mean, I like Lonnie Walker's potential. I mean, they've got some decent pieces, but nothing that screams like contender or team that should be pushing hard for the playoffs right now compared to where they were. But it seems like they don't want to just bottom out and have that be the end of the Popovich era. It also sort of feels like the the guards that you just listed along with Derek Murray are not Derek Murray, uh, DeJounte Murray and Derek White. It, it all just seems like they're different versions of the same player too, where you're looking to develop that kind of six, four, either point guard, combo guard or swing man. And, and just trying to uh, come up with different ways to surround another star. But the fact is, is that they just don't have that guy. And I'm not sure that guy really exists on this roster. So is there something or someone that could drastically change their tra- trajectory this season to you? The only reason I'll say no is that the Spurs organization like never makes significant in-season trades. That's just not their yeah. style. Yeah. And could they shake it up? Absolutely. I mean, you never know, but it'd be very out of character and very surprising if they suddenly did. And I'm also not sure, like, who are they giving up? Like, unless you're including Walter Murray in a package, what else do they have that's intriguing enough to other teams to land a star? Yeah, it's it's a tough question. They they do seem like a potential destination for Ben Simmons. Uh, he would be the guy that you you kind of put into this package. And I I do think that Dejounte Murray makes sense as kind of a Ben Simmons replacement in a lot of ways. But then is Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell making up the difference there? Is Derek White the guy that you throw in there as well? It's really hard to tell. And so like like you said the package that they'd have to build in order to get somebody like that. It's really difficult based off of where they are. So my, my thing with them, they're probably have to go the other direction if they really want the top end talent that they're searching for, or that they're going to have to search for after pop is gone. So we're going to see it it may involve making some really difficult decisions, but they just lost their four veterans. I think that were tying them to the previous era uh, with LaMarcus Aldridge in season, and then DeMar DeRozan, Patty Mills, and Rudy Gay uh, during this offseason. So it does feel like there's a changing of the guard there, and we're going to see what they do. It's it's going to be very interesting. I will say, though, Simmons would be a perfect Spurs player because they've never cared about guys who shoot threes. <laughs> true, true. That's that's the, the torchbearer for DeMar, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, and, and Timmy D uh, in completely different ways. So uh, I th- do you want to talk about the Sacramento Kings now, or should we talk about them in the next segment? Oh, I mean, they've got to be a lot higher in your rankings, right? As far as projected wins, I'm sure everyone's really, they're got to be way up there, right? Uh, yeah. Hey, I, I th- thank you everybody for listening to the set. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh tell you what let's take a break when we come back we will talk about the sacramento kings on the other side and then we could talk about the two remaining teams memphis and new orleans kind of as a as a duo because they are so interconnected we will be right back 
Exit Roll final segment here, joined today by Greg Wisinger. Uh, really, really enjoyed the conversation that we've had so far and think that he's doing a great job over at King's Herald. We will probably uh, continue to connect over the course of this regular season. So make sure to check out their podcasts over there. You might you might see a, a member of Denver Stiffs over there at some point, maybe even me. Should be fun. Uh, all right. Let's get into the final three teams here. And I think it's probably right to start with your Sacramento Kings. Uh, they were graded as the 12th uh, or the 11th team in the Western Conference in the ESPN forecast. Excuse me. That came out today that it was 35 and 47, which uh, 35 wins is, is probably standard. Uh, over under on DraftKings is at 36 and a half. So they're, they seem to be a little bit higher on, on the potential prospects for uh, what could be this King season. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the floor here. What is the plan in the backcourt right now? Oh God, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> so the Kings have Darren Fox, who is obviously the the star of this team, the point guard of the future uh, the the guy that they're trying to help build around, much in the way that Minnesota's trying to build around Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Darren Fox, I think, is wildly underrated because he's in Sacramento, who doesn't get a lot of national exposure, is not a good team, and so he kind of suffers because of that as far as just how good a player he is. Uh, they drafted Tyrese Halliburton last year, who it was a, a – in the top three for rookie of the year had just an amazing season. Didn't put up the impressive counting stats, but just contributed in every way on the floor. I mean, good three point shooter, good scoring guard, good passing, disruptive defender, good steals. It's a, just a a really fun, amazing guy to get at the 12th pick. That's kind of the backcourt of the future, but they still have buddy healed who they almost traded to Lakers. They, it was done deal. And then it wasn't. So they've still got Buddy Heald, who doesn't want to come off the bench, who is one of the league's worst defenders, but is one of the league's best volume three-point shooters. So he has a lot of value in what he does, but the Kings tend to need him to do more than what he's just good at. And then to make that all more difficult, they drafted Davion Mitchell, who is a little undersized. He's not a big guy. He's an older rookie. He played four years in college, but tenacious defender. I mean, he showed it in summer league, which I know it's summer league, but guys don't have defensive highlights in summer league. It just doesn't happen. I mean, Davion Mitchell is an amazing defender and we're all trying to figure out what's that rotation going to look like? Because obviously you draft Davion Mitchell at nine, you're expecting something from him. You're expecting him to be part of that rotation. Buddy Heal needs his minutes. Halliburton obviously deserves minutes. Fox is going to get his. Like No one has any idea how all four of those are going to work. I mean, the most obvious solution is that Buddy Heal gets traded at some point. But after the Laker deal fell through, and they've been talking about maybe trading him for like two years. So no one's really sure where he would go or what the return would look like. It's a mess. And, and so what the plan looks like, I don't know. I've been spending all offseason trying to figure out what the Kings plan is. And I mean, I've been trying to figure out for like the past decade, but aside from that, it's it's going to be a mess. It's not that they lack talented players. It's just they lack players that fit together in a way that makes sense. 
Yeah, like I, I think one of the things that really stands out and has stood out with Sacramento for a while is you look at their roster and think, okay, there are lots of competent to good players on this team. De'Aaron mm-hmm. Fox is higher than that. He's he's potentially one of the next all-stars in the Western Conference. And to get to that level is incredibly difficult, as, as we well know over here with the Nuggets and with Murray. Uh, adding Davion Mitchell to, to him, uh, he's he's listed at 6'2 over at, uh, at Basketball Reference. I, I will be damned if he is 6'2". Um, but having those two guys at the size that they are makes things a little bit unique, a little bit interesting long-term, but it can work. We've seen small guard teams win and do really well. We saw it with the Toronto Raptors over these past couple seasons with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, but you do have to have that bigger option. And Tyrese Halliburton sort of represents that as that versatile piece that you can do a lot of different things with. So I am with you with those three guys for sure. And like you, I very much question what the hell Buddy Heald is going to do. (laughs) It's just, it it feels like this team is just ripe for a three guard rotation of Fox, Mitchell and Halliburton and that they need a true three or they just need Buddy Heald to grow three to four inches. Yeah. I mean, the challenge was even last year when it was obvious how good Halliburton was, they spent a lot of time trying to figure out ways where they could play Fox, Halliburton, and then Buddy Hill at three. Yeah. And uh, on the offensive side, it it works. It's fine. The problem is defense also matters in the NBA, it turns out. And the Kings had the second worst defensive rating in NBA history. For most of last season, they were flirting with the worst defensive rating in NBA history. They corrected it just barely enough at the very end. And some of that was because they brought in wing help, which was – Maurice Harkless and Mo Harkless was enough of an improvement to like bolster their defense and bring it out of the worst of all time. Like I, I am, I'm a Mo Harkless stan over here. I've always thought that always he, he has him. a place in the NBA and, and, and maybe he does. Maybe this is, maybe this is where he, he kind of helps you guys out a little bit. And, and they re-signed him this year and you know, it, it's a reasonable contract for a veteran and all of that. It's not a bad deal. It's just like, well, Harkless isn't the answer at your three. He's like your answer <laughs> at your backup three. Like that, that's not your starter. That's not your solution. And yeah, I mean, the the thing is like Halliburton has the height, the wingspan, all the different a- attributes you'd look at to be able to potentially play the three, except he's a really skinny guy. And obviously he's going to bulk up as time goes on. In the NBA, most guys do. Like he, you know, there, there's nothing to suggest he can't you know, put on some muscle and and maybe be able to guard guys. But, like, he's not the one-on-one lockdown defender. He's a guy who disrupts passing lanes and all that. And I just don't see that being a good solution if you're trying to cram all these guards into playing time and make Halliburton a three. Like, it just – again, it, it just feels like they've got a lot of good pieces, but the pieces don't all fit. So if Harrison Barnes was like Aaron Gordon, for example – how much would that change things for you guys? Like, cause it just seems like he he's also sort of out of place in that he's a really good veteran where it sort of fits, but he's kind of the offensive version of what you need at that. That's that three, four position uh, is that, I mean, we're, we're not looking to trade Aaron Gordon, obviously, because he just signed a contract extension and we're happy with that. But uh, it, 
it's very interesting that Denver, I think that they were in on both Aaron Gordon and Harrison Barnes, and they made a conscious choice to go with Aaron Gordon, much for the reasons that you're talking about here is that you need somebody who can be kind of a defensive connector at that three and that four. If you have holes around the roster from a defensive perspective, and let's be frank, like uh, as, as good of a, an offensive presence as Rashawn Holmes was this past year, given that he has the best floater in the league somehow, uh, he's not going to really stop anybody. Uh, De'Aaron Fox isn't really considered a stopper anymore, despite he, he has some moments where he can. Buddy Heald was, as you said, the worst defender, or not, not worst defender, but a, a pretty bad one. I don't see where the defensive ceiling really goes up unless Davion Mitchell is just immediately good. So I will push back just a little bit on Rashawn Holmes, that Rashawn Holmes is actually an excellent defender, both eye test and the metrics. He's not a massive shot blocker. He's not a rim protector in the sense of like a Rudy Gobert or anything like that. But given what he gives you on offense, he's a very solid defender. It's just he's not at the level of defender to be able to cover for the other defensive issues on the team. That it's funny. Sense? That's sort. Of, oh yeah. That, no, that's sort of how we how we view Nikola Jokic over here. Um, has very. very it, yeah, it's has, not that they're bad defenders. They're just not going to be good enough to cover for someone else's mistake. Um, and to the Harrison Barnes point, the tricky part with him is that he is a solid defender and a good offensive contributor. I mean, he had. And I wrote about this the other day. He had an absolute career year, not in terms of points per game, but as far as scoring efficiency, like his points relative to the shots he's taking. I mean, Dallas had him taking a ton of shots and he wasn't super efficient, wasn't good. And that's why he was available. He doesn't take many shots, but he scores really efficiently. He passes the ball. Well, he doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't commit fouls. He does basically everything across the board. You'd want him to be. He's not a lockdown defender. But the problem is part of that success is that he's an excellent small ball four. You play mm-hmm. him through, you're not maximizing him. And it feels like the way that the roster is constructed, they're almost going to have to play him at three more, which doesn't maximize his ability and what he can bring to the team. So yeah, but the team has tons of bigs, tons of guards, no wings. <laughs> like it's, it's, one of those things where you're like, which is waiting for the trade because something has to change because the current construction does not make sense. <laughs> Should we talk about Ben Simmons here? Like, like whether that's actually gonna, cause I, we, we brought it up at the beginning of the show, but it, it really does seem like this could be a destination for him. And, and I know you were, you were a little bit tepid in your response at the beginning, but I think there's a lot of people that think Sacramento could be the place. It's not that I don't, think it's the places that I'm a Kings fan and I'm not used to expecting anything good to happen. Like, and he would be good. He would be <laughs> good. He would be very, very helpful for this team that if let's say you don't have to trade Harrison Barnes, like you suddenly have a, a defensive front court that includes Barnes Simmons and Rashawn Holmes, which is very passable, if not above average, if not really good. So there's something there. So the most common scenario that Kings fans want to believe would happen would be a package around Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, and a bunch of draft picks. I don't think that's enough. I've never felt like that would be enough. No matter how desperate Philly gets, I feel like someone's going to have a better offer than that. I've always felt like Harrison Barnes made a ton of sense as another play 
player to include. Because of the Simmons trade kicker, they can actually absorb a lot of salary. I mean, they could take back Buddy Hield and Harrison Barnes and a Davion Mitchell and draft. I mean, they could – the Kings, if wow. they were so inclined, could send a really compelling package. I think what Philly's holding out for right now is they want that package to include Tyrese Halliburton, hmm. which I don't blame them. But from the Kings' perspective, the whole idea is have Fox, have Halliburton, and have Simmons. You know, and then everything else you kind of fill in around that. So I wouldn't be opposed to as much as I love Harrison Barnes, love what he does for the team and as valuable as I think he is. I think he's also an extremely valuable trade chip because he would make so much sense as a small ball forward for Philly, as far as how he fits with Embiid, as far as what he can do on both ends of the floor, you know, buddy just, both from a salary matching standpoint, as well as the shooting and the offense and the spacing that he would get to Philly. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that Sacramento and Philly could make sense as trade partners, but as I said, I'm not holding my breath just because Maury and Monty McNair worked together in Houston for years. They know each other. Neither one's going to want to be able to be the one who has one pulled over on them. And, you know, maybe that familiarity does end up with a deal coming together. But at the same time, it's all going to come down to which team chasing Simmons blinks first. Yeah, and and frankly, which team holding Simmons uh, blinks first as well, because there there is going to be some drama that comes out of that training camp. And I, I, for one, cannot wait because I am a fan of theater, and that theater is going to be very, very good. Uh, so we're going to see, man, I, I am, I'm still holding out hope that the Kings can raise their ceiling with a move like this, that you, you start to be able to show off the talent of a De'Aaron Fox, the talent of a Ben Simmons in a new situation. If you can strike together something that makes sense from a functional perspective. So it should be interesting to track. And I, I, I frankly am rooting for the Kings as a destination here. Them or the T-Wolves. Yeah, I mean, either one I think would be fun and interesting and, you know, more fun than, like, the Warriors or something like that. No yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. We don't like that. We're, we're, we're opposed to anything that, that keeps this dynasty going. Um, all right, let's wrap up with the two teams that ESPN said that they forecasted for the play-in tournament. That is the New Orleans Pelicans and the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, these teams are connected at the hip a little bit, uh, not only because they just traded with each other and, and basically swapped centers and did a salary dump deal that that is very interesting and sort of tells the, the story for both teams, but because one of them has Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and a bunch of flash and never really manifested, and the other has Ja Morant, Jaron Jackson, kind of the, the resident grit and grind grizzly still a little bit there. And they were the team that sort of surprised everybody and were able to get past the Golden State Warriors in their, their play-in game that they had. Uh, which of those teams interests you more? Long-term or this season? Uh, either or. I don't care. <laughs> so this season, and this is a, a little contrary to what I think is the common opinion right now, you know, regardless of the projections or anything, just kind of reading the room on like Twitter and just kind of general fan perception, I think the Pelicans are going to be better than people think. 
Um, okay. I think that when you look at the things that Stan Van Gundy was doing that weren't working, and I'm surprised he was out as quick as he was. I thought they'd give him another year. But I don't think they were necessarily wrong to move on from him quickly because I don't think he figured out how to set up Zion to succeed. I don't think he maximized you know, what they have with Ingram. I, As much as I love Steven Adams, I think that Jonas Valanciunas brings spacing in a way that would be beneficial for Zion. I think they've got a lot of interesting pieces. Like even just the way they managed to keep Josh Hart, that's such a weird contract where like neither side is really actually committed to each other beyond one year, but like they kept them around at least like they, they kept their talented players. They got some good players. Like I didn't totally love the Lonzo ball trade for Chicago. I think that they gave up a lot and, I think a lot of people being down on the Pelicans are like, oh, well, they lost Zion or they lost Lonzo Ball and didn't get a lot back. But like you talk to any Pelicans fans who watched all their games and they're like, yes, we're not really worried about losing what Zion was, or I'm not Zion, but what Lonzo was bringing to the table. Like, yeah, I, I think that there's so much untapped potential. It's always tricky with a new coach and but we've seen where a coaching change can really spark a fire in a team, especially a team that people had really high hopes for last year and really let a lot of people down. So I, I think the Pelicans have the potential to, to really be solid. And you know, I, I don't know that they're going to be like the sixth seed or anything. I'm not saying they're going to surprise people to that effect, but I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were very comfortably in a position to be in the plan going into next year well if that's the case it's going to be probably a, a better record than what espn and what the over under for DraftKings have them uh have them prop for 39 and a half at DraftKings, 37 and 45 by the espn panel uh i sort of lean towards where they are uh, simply because i i am very concerned about what this team is going to look like defensively and whether they're young guys who Stan Van de Gundy clearly couldn't motivate to start playing defense, whether they're actually going to start doing so or not, because uh, watching the Pelicans last year, Denver never had an issue uh, scoring on them. Now they had an issue stopping Zion when they were trying to defend him with Paul Millsap, uh, but they had an issue or the, the Pelicans had an issue stopping anything that they possibly could. Uh, and I think that they got worse on that end. I don't think that they got better. I think by adding Devontae Graham, adding Jonas Valanciunas in place of Steven Adams, I do think that they got worse on that end rather than better. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on somebody like Zion, on Brandon Ingram to take that next step and if they don't, then it could end pretty ugly in there. That's a totally fair point. And again, I'm a Kings fan, so I don't pay a lot of attention to defense. <laughs> My rally cry last year was defenses for nerds, get buckets, you know, because that, that <laughs> would be the Kings philosophy. No, that's totally valid, though. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of players I really like from an offensive standpoint, but yeah, they don't have a lot of defensive players on this team as I'm looking over the roster. I mean... Yeah, like is like is Thomas Sadoransky going to start a shooting guard, or are they finally going to do right by Josh Hart and start him for once? Like this is a this is an outrage. I, I feel like Josh Hart is probably the starter. I mean, I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. That you may you've got me rethinking what I I initially thought because again, I just as a survival mechanism, I, I've come to ignore defensive deficiency, but. But to be clear, like they do have a good formula for good offense, despite the fact that Jonas Valanciunas is going to crowd the space of a guy like Zion. Brandon Ingram already does that to an extreme level um, because of how much he wants to have the ball in his hands going towards the rim. Uh, but Devontae Graham will help them in that regard. If Josh Hart would ever shoot more than like 12% of the time, then, then he would do that as well. Like he would definitely help. Like I, I'm very high on Josh Hart if he has confidence in himself to be able to do that. Um, the real question is whether that's actually going to manifest, whether they're they're seriously relying on a guy like Kyra Lewis. Uh, if Jackson Hayes is going to be legal, uh, like if, if that's ever going to kind of sort itself out, I, I, I just have a lot of questions up and down their roster on, on, what it's going to look like and what the ultimate end game is here. Like, what are they building toward? No, I, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I, I was a big fan of the David Griffin hire. It's been very rocky since he's been in there. And as much as I like Devontae Graham as a player, like that contract, I, I don't know. There, there's definitely been some questionable moves they might not be done. I mean, that just looks like a team that is primed to make another, you know, trade deadline move or, or early season trade, something like that. I definitely don't think they're done, but yeah, I mean, probably more than anything, I'm just kind of banking on the fact that when I watch Zion and when he's healthy and when he's playing, man, that dude's fun. And I, I still believe that that star potential is there. And if the right pieces click around them, I mean, I think Brandon Ingram is amazing. And so those two I'm willing to bet on. And it's a fair bet. And I think a lot of people would fall into that camp as well. It's one of the reasons why people were high on them last year and why this was such a comeback to earth moment. Uh, mm -hmm. But maybe, maybe it was too early. Maybe projecting Zion to be the carrier of worlds in his second year was wrong, despite the fact that he had 27 points. <laughs> like it was really, really good. Uh, so dude had were, a really let down year and had 27 points. Uh, that guy's unreal. <laughs> I, he is, he is the guy I have the least questions on. That is for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's wrap up with the Memphis Grizzlies who are a very, very interesting team. Uh, they did the thing that you never really see a team do in this, be honest with themselves. And they decided that rather than pushing forward with Jonas Valanciunas and uh, just trying to push for a five seed or a six seed or something like that, they've instead sort of, uh, they took the salary dump route from the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, they added Eric Bledsoe and then uh, promptly cut Eric Bledsoe. Uh that was a good move for them, I think. Are they going to take a step back this year because it seems like they should, or 
is Ja good enough and is Jaron Jackson good enough and is the structure that they have good enough that they can still keep pushing forward? Because that's a big question in my mind. I'm not sure whether, despite the fact that they've gone and, and kind of put, put together some moves that should bring them kind of back to earth, like trading up in the draft, uh, get, taking a guy like Zaire Williams and seeming like they're going to commit to some young pieces. Like, are they still going to be good? I, I don't, I don't really know. So Memphis is so tricky because I appreciate the majority of the moves they make. Like they mm-hmm. are run in a way that I would want my team to be run. You know, they, they draft guys that I like the upside on. They sign free agents. I like, they, they you know, just kind of generally are operated in a way that I really enjoy. But I can't tell if they want to win this year or not. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, even the moves they haven't made, we've heard like Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson are are potentially on the block and could be moved. And like, yeah, all the players who were really good for them last year. (laughs) I mean, Kyle Anderson had an incredible year that I think went totally under the radar because last year was all so weird. But I mean, like, they have so many guys that I like so many players. I like they, they are run in a way that I feel is very competent. Some of it, I think does depend on can Jaron Jackson stay healthy. Like it didn't start off that way, but he's missed like almost half of his career starts as an NBA player since he came to the league. And it, it's at the point where it starts to become a concern. Like none of the injuries or anything that, are necessarily repeated but you want him to be healthy for a full season you want to see what he can do because he showed so much potential early on as a two-way player if if he and Jai are both healthy and take a step forward this team could definitely be amazing even with kind of some of the confusing moves that they've made over the past summer uh, without looking guess how many games jaron jackson played last year it was like 25 or something, wasn't it? It was, it was 11. I, I went high. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> it's incredible. I had to look at it and, and realize, oh man, like, am I, am I being too hard on this guy who had just really tough injury luck and perhaps didn't get to show some of the developmental traits that, that maybe he would have shown had he been healthy for the entire year. And maybe as he continues to get healthy as one of the initially youngest players in the league, given what he showed early in his career, maybe, maybe we're being too hard on him. Maybe he's somebody who really has the capability to just break out and, and pull a bam out of bio here at some point. So it's interesting because, you know, with the Kings, one of the big comparisons has always been Marvin Bagley and Jaron Jackson, because their rookie years, Jaron Jackson showed a lot more. And then Marvin Bagley has this knock of, you know, always being hurt and all these things. Like, I think he's played close to, or maybe more. I don't remember the number. I've seen other Kings fans throw it out, but <laughs> the two of them have been very similar as far as total games played through three seasons, which is funny because it doesn't totally line up with what you think about the two. Marvin Bagley has his reputation as being very injured, and he has been but Jackson has been too. I think it's just that Jackson showed a little bit more on both sides of the ball when he wasn't hurt. 
know, an ability to shoot some threes, an ability to be a defensive presence, you know, all those different aspects. And yeah, I mean, it's, I really hope that Jackson can stay healthy because I loved what I've seen when he's on the floor. He's just a phenomenal two-way big man. But if he can't stay healthy, that becomes a, a serious concern if, if he misses a lot of time again this season. So I'm very curious to see where that goes because, man, I, I love watching job play. Like there's – Yeah, yeah. There's like a media-fueled thing where, you know, people like to compare him and Fox. And Fox at this point is – by any measure, a better player today, except maybe in highlight dunks, than Ja. But Ja's also like two years younger, and they're both phenomenal players. It doesn't need to be a rivalry or anything like that. It's just two amazing guys, and I love watching Grizzlies games. They're they're one of my again. I, I like watching bad teams, and and they're not necessarily a terrible team, but they're not a great team by any means. And but he's just such a fun player to watch and. So for that reason, just the overall roster that they have, plus Ja, I, I still think that it's smart to bet on them being a play-in team, at, at least. I think so, too. And the more I think about it, the more I realize, okay, Steven Adams is still going to give them a lot of what Jonas Valanciunas gave them, the, the best parts of what Jonas Valanciunas gave them, which was the size, the rim rolling, uh he should be a good defensive captain for what they need, at least at the beginning. But they're also, because he's going to play less minutes, because Steven Adams is probably going to be like a 24 to 28 minute per game guy, they're going to free up a lot of time for Jaron Jackson at the five, but also Brandon Clark at the five and guys like that who can really help contribute in the highly efficient, highly effective ways that we, we've grown to love from this Grizzlies group. Uh, DeAnthony Melton has a long way to go. Uh, Dylan Brooks is still doing his thing. And I think he, he made a lot of, uh, he made a lot of friends and, and a lot of uh, fans with the way that he played in the play-in game, but also just sort of carried himself throughout that season where he just didn't give a damn about what anybody else thought of him. And, and you kind of need that mentality when you're in Memphis and when you're not getting the respect that you probably deserve. I still think they need that three. We talked about Sacramento needing that three, that that particularly connective uh, three and D, uh, or even more than that kind of small forward type. Kyle Anderson's not going to cut it. That's why they drafted Zaire Williams. Whether he can do it or not, I mean, what remains to be seen. He's still a long way out because he's like a, a string bean. But they are going to be very interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them. Uh I still am holding my Jaron Jackson stock in all likelihood. I think that that duo, that John Jaron duo, it reminds me a lot of Jokic and Murray and that they're probably not going to get a lot of respect initially at the outset, but they're just going to keep getting better. They're just going to keep winning. And at some point you're going to look up and you're going to realize, Oh yeah, that's one of the best duos in the league. It's going to be awesome. And I'm super high on Zaire Williams and there's ever a reason not to be, but anyone who has questions about Zaire Williams' potential or why his numbers look so bad, one of the the pieces I thought that it, our our draft guy Brian did 
an amazing job on in the pre-draft process. He wrote a profile of Zaire and kind of broke down like all the specifics of, you know, not just the numbers, but a combination of numbers, game tape situation. It's kind of broke down all the factors that went into his year last year. And it, it convinced me. I, I was sold. If the Kings had taken him at nine, I'd have been thrilled. I'd have been he had a year perfect. from hell. Like, yeah, like that's it's every year way. from hell. That's crazy. Every conceivable way. And, and I think that I, I don't feel like got covered enough. And um, yeah, it, it, I have a lot of hope for his potential. I mean, of course, draft guys, you never know how those players are going to turn out. We'll see, but I've got a lot of hope for him and I'm rooting for him. Well, that sort of wraps up uh, where, where we're going to go here, man. I, I think we, we did the bottom of the West justice. I don't think that we uh, skimped on any of the details with these teams. And, and I, I think that we did a pretty good job here. Uh, anything you want to cover or anything you want to talk about with the top of the West before, before we get out of here? No, I mean, I, I just feel the need to slander the Lakers a little bit, just to, you know, hmm. as a Kings fan, just because. Go ahead. Know. I'm not a young man. Uh, I'm in my late thirties and I, I feel like I could fit in very well with that Lakers roster as just as far as <laughs> age group and, you know, my peers. And so I'm curious to see how that holds up, you know, it, it just from a, a, a games played standpoint, but that, that's just an obligation I have as a Kings fan to make fun of the Lakers whenever I can, even though they will be like 30 wins at least better than the Kings. <laughs> Well, anybody that wants to go get a get a ticket to see the LA Lakers play, you can find them at the LAY. Uh, they'll be there. Uh, should be a lot of fun to go see them, and and maybe you could just you can uh, uh, guide them across the street every now and then if they need to if they're stopping a red light or something. Uh, should be fun. <laughs> Only other thing I'll throw out there, uh, just as a, a kind of a general NBA fan who I I do live in Colorado. I know some people are not super excited about the Aaron Gordon extension. And I think that's crazy because I think that's a perfectly reasonable extension for a player who does what he does is his age and played so well when, you know, they had Jokic and Murray and Gordon, like it doesn't stop them from keeping MPJ. They weren't going to be an under the cap team. Like the cap's going to go up here soon. I, I don't understand the concerns about it. I, from an outsider, I thought it was a perfectly fine extension. And I was really jealous when the Nuggets traded for Gordon. I thought it was a perfect trade for them, but I was really hoping the Kings would trade for him. <laughs> but but, uh, but the money, I, Greg, I the money, the money. What are they going to do? I don't understand people who are opposed to paying good players money. Like people <laughs> like handering over like how much Luka Doncic is being paid or how much De'Aaron Fox is making. It's like, yeah, good players make money. That's how the league works. Like that's not a bad thing. Like that that's how it's all designed. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can pay guys money or you can lose players. Those are your options. <laughs> I for one am shocked that the Nuggets decided to keep their championship core together. It would be incredibly insane for them to do anything other than that. Uh, so I, I'm very much with you. Thank you for saying that. Nuggets fans, uh, Aaron Gordon is good coming from an outside, coming from somebody who isn't directly tied to covering the Denver Nuggets. Like Aaron Gordon is a good player and you should feel good about having Aaron Gordon. Correct. I mean, I'm a Kings fan, so I don't know that much about good players, but. (laughs) 
dude, you're down bad, man. We got to get you a playoff appearance at some point. My, my judgment is very skewed at this point, so don't listen to anything I say. But <laughs> He is Greg Wisinger at G-Wiz, uh, G-W-I-S-S on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much for your help today in covering the bottom of the West. Everybody make sure to go check out the King's Herald. Uh, we will be back, I think, tomorrow talking with Ty Windish on the top of the East. And so he can gloat about the Milwaukee Bucks. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Greg is awesome. Uh, we'll talk to you guys very soon.